welcome to Risk Roundup. What we humans have been doing all these years, artificial intelligence, in short referred to as AI, has begun to do some of it as well. Today, the artificial intelligence systems have started to create numerous works that bring the potential to generate enormous economic value by giving rise to entirely new products and services. This includes not only musical compositions or different kinds of writings, different reports and recipes and so on, but also algorithms and potentially patentable inventions. As a result, it is increasingly becoming essential for us to differentiate whether those intellectual property rights belong to the innovators that have developed the AI systems or algorithms in the first place, or whether the rights belong to the AI system that evolved and is now producing their own IP. The reality remains that we are struggling with the issue of non-human authorship and inventorship. To discuss whether we should recognize AI authorship and inventorship, I'm delighted to welcome Mark Montgomery to this roundup. Mark, Mark is the founder, chief executive officer, and chairman of the board of Kale Inc. He is the inventor of the now patented AI system that serves as the foundation for the Kale operating system, modular system for optimizing knowledge yield in the digital workplace. Mark is also the inventor of the more recent patent pending, the Synthetic Genius Machine. Welcome, Mark. We are so honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Well, thank you very much for the invite. It's nice to be here with you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mark. So as we begin to evaluate whether AI should be treated or AI system should be treated as any other machine or a legal entity with a right for ownership, it is important to understand and differentiate whether AI is a non-living or a living thing. So do you think AI is a living? Should we consider AI as a whole another living species that we are creating or is it just a machine? Well, it, it isn't yet. Uh, and I don't see it in the, in the foreseeable future uh, in my lifetime uh, anyway. Um, and, uh, and so right off the bat, I think it's, uh, we need to protect the, the, the work of the, of the people that are behind the algorithms that are developing it. Um, however, it's certainly um, plausible that at some point in, in, uh, in the not too distant future that the um, um, especially in the uh, biological uh, uh, systems that are where we're combining machines with biological systems and organic systems that um, that it will represent life at, at, at some point it will probably cross that threshold um, I just I think it's premature for uh, I supported the agreement um, uh, the, or the decision that uh, that we're not quite there yet uh, but yes, it, you can see it in the future at some point. Um, it, it, it certainly uh, has the capacity to do it. I realize that brings up all kinds of spiritual and religious and uh, philosophical uh, issues. But, uh, but at some point, um, uh, it, it, it probably uh, will represent uh, a new entity. Yes, you are right. I mean, at some point, we will come across that... Uh point where we will have to decide whether this is an entirely new species because it is an intelligent species that we are creating. These machines that we have created so far, including computers, was 
are still not in the same category. Here, algorithms are able to create another algorithms and their own language right. and all kinds of things. So it is, it's going to be very complex. And actually the conversation has already started across nations. France is, I believe, leading you know, ahead of us in uh, deciding whether we should consider these as a legal entity another, or another living species with rights of its own, just like humans. So uh, in France, I think that conversation is so far ahead and there, is a, there are ways that they are you know, able to differentiate how to go forward you know, with the AI creation. But the bigger question is that you know, when we say that you know, should AI be able to get that, those rights as a legal entity, the question is that is are is a, any algorithm or is any AI system requesting that kind of you know recognition for their contribution or is it behind the humans behind those systems that are interested in getting that recognition you know those patterns for their AI system and all so it, it is it that point is still you know there because who are who is representing you know the AI system is it the human or AI itself. If we cannot, you know, figure out that, we cannot decide whether we this is a legal entity because they should have a right on their own and they should be able to represent another on their own if they are requesting the rights of their own. Isn't it? Isn't that true? Well, I think you you bring up a kind of an interesting um, threshold, which is uh, when the systems become uh, aware enough uh, to be able to. Uh, complete the bureaucratic process uh, of applying for a patent without uh, any outside ex, uh, you know, assistance, also aware of the need uh, to protect its own interests. Uh, those are some interesting sort of thresholds that, uh, that probably uh, you know, should be included in an overall um, test. Uh, to, to see whether or not, uh, I, you know, I'm not, uh, when we're talking about this sort of thing, an entity that's, uh, that's certainly different than the Turing test, right? It's a, it's a much higher threshold um, and those kinds of rights. Uh, but uh, with, the, with the rapid uh, evolution of, of genetic algorithms and algorithms that, um, that can learn um, from inception, uh, without uh, priors, without prior data uh, installed, and just collect the information, um, it's certainly on the horizon, and you can see it coming down. I'm not really that, I haven't followed France uh, that closely, so I'm, I'm probably not as aware as you are of what's going on over there. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's certainly not too early to debate it and discuss it, right? Uh, because yes. those are going to be issues that we're confronted with. Yes, absolutely. And you made a good point about the genetic algorithms and especially when the AI systems start working in the legal sector and they start doing a lot of you know, work that lawyers do, they are going to develop that awareness that you just talked about that once they become aware, then yes, we will have to address those uh, issues. And once they st the AI systems start working in the legal sector more and more and they start filing you know, all these patents and you know, uh, the rights and all that, uh, IP rights and patents and you know trade secrets and all that, then they are going to start thinking themselves that why we are creating this work on our own. This is something we have created. So we should file our own patents so that they probably is not that far. Now, since AI has begun to 
infiltrate virtually all sectors, you know, I mean, a, not just the legal sector and, you know, healthcare sector and, you know, all these other sectors and every aspect of our human experience. When we visualize something as, you know, crucial uh, as, you know, or something super important like this, when we start considering AI as a legal entity, what are the implications do you see happening, you know, for humans to have that understanding that AI is a living entity, its own legal entity, and it has its own pattern protection and all that. Where do you think we will be focusing that time? What are what would be going through our minds at time? Well, the, I think that probably the most important for, from an ethical perspective um, that when we get to that point um, will be, uh, let's say, for example, when um, when a, an independent agent uh, is able to uh, trounce uh, attorneys in a Supreme Court argument, uh, debate, let's say, um, similar to what they've already done with games, right? So that's a, a, technically, it's a very, very far more complex undertaking because we know what the rules of the games are, um, and 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 the legal uh, discourse uh, and the rules are are far more complex and open ended. So it's a it's a much much more difficult technical hurdle to overcome, and I think we're probably quite a ways from it. But we can certainly see the potential of that occurring when that when that happens, and each sort of industry and um, society in general then we probably uh, need to, I, I think it's even beyond probably, we, we need them to look at it uh, perhaps in, in terms of uh, human rights um, are going to be differentiated um, from a purely machine or artificial uh, species as, as you call it, um, because uh, the, the capabilities are different. Um, so in that regard, from an intellectual standpoint, um, then we're, we're probably going to need in those areas where uh, AI is, is, let's call it super intelligence by, by that point, is so vastly uh, superior from uh, an intelligence perspective uh, than humans for even for specific tasks like you brought up in the legal profession or, or, or others. Then, um, then we probably need to view, uh, and I hate to do this because it's, it's somewhat uh, depressing, we probably need to look at humans in, like we do uh, other species, uh, biological species, and provide uh, extra pr protection for them. Um, you know, the, the cruelty to animals, for example. Um, and so we, we probably will need, at that point, extra protections for humans, and not just um, in legal rights, but also at that point, we'll probably need to address the economic uh, disparities because uh, superintelligence will introduce that. Now, I have not been one raising the alarm about the, in the near term, the uh, displacement of millions of jobs because I see from my perspective a vast opportunity to create jobs still. Um, and so I see new industries and all kinds of you know, space exploration and and healthcare, new models in healthcare, it will displace people, but there, there's, there's definitely millions and millions and millions of new jobs. But, um, but when we have superintelligence, as, as many of my peers have, have pointed out, that uh, 
you know, it, it really does change the game and it changes the sort of the ethical, uh, uh, the whole framework of, of ethics and, and how we deal with humans. Overall, I think it will be beneficial because super intelligence, um, at least since we don't have it yet, we're still uh, uh, theoretically, but um, with the growing evidence, let's, let's say, that uh, we'll be able to do things like you and I share an interest in, in, uh, in reducing existential risk for, for our species and for the planet. I'm of the view uh, that, that uh, we may need super intelligence to survive as a species and for our planet to survive and, and to be able to, uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to live in space uh, comfortably and safely. So uh, that brings a, a sort of a higher level ethical uh, consideration in that, you know, which uh, choose your poison, right? Sort of, so to speak. Um, and, uh, and that is pretty consistent with the evolution of our species to, to this point. We would not be able to keep uh, however many, what are we at, 9 billion, uh, close to 9 billion uh, people alive every day if we did not have automation and, and machines um, moving the supply chains and assisting in agriculture alive in medical. Uh, it would be impossible. And I don't think the majority of people that are debating this issue and worried about jobs, just since we're on the topic, excellent example that I use all the time, we've had three major catastrophes in 20 years that have affected the U.S. Two of them uh, were, were occurred here uh, that were preventable, but our institutions were not able to prevent them for different reasons, 9-11 being the first one. And, and I'm defining this uh, formally as 10 million or 10 trillion or more in economic damage or large numbers of, of lives lost, which is how it's categorized by researchers and catastrophes. So we were, we failed um, in 9-11 in uh, to prevent it. That was the, the easiest one to prevent. The, we had the, the names of the people on the plane in advance sitting on a server in the FBI, and they were not able to, to act uh, just for, you know, sort of process reasons, technical reasons, bureaucratic, cultural reasons, sharing the information. Then we had the financial crisis, which was absolutely preventable, a lot more complex to do it from a technical perspective, but it was preventable. Now we have a global pandemic. These have all, we've, you know, this has all been warned for decades. These, these sort of events are known. Um, and, um, and meanwhile, our economy and our society erodes each time. Our debt increases, the risk goes up. Uh, and so uh, that's why if you look at just sort of the trajectory that we're on, if we don't tap into these really advanced systems to prevent uh, major systemic crises, catastrophic risks, uh, it, it unfortunately looks more and more, just based on the evidence that we may not survive. Yes. And that's really what it comes down to. Yes, I hear you. And you made some very, very good points about uh, uh, where we are heading. And that makes me, you know, think even deeper that if we hypothetically, let's say, you know, France has started considering, uh, you know, that yes, we, we will go down the road where we will, you know, consider these as its own legal entity. Uh, and if we go down that path, United States has not, uh, you know, taken that stand and we are not recognizing that. But if we go this path, and if we recognize artificial intelligence as another, entirely another spe living species, 
and uh, a legal entity of its own, then I believe we are creating a huge risk for human species. And the reason I you know, say this is as soon as AI start thinking that they are another intelligent species, they are going to start thinking that yes, these humans are not intelligent at all. You know, we can control them. So right. is that a wise thing to do for us to give them the legal identity or we create a scenario, a framework in which we consider them as part of our virtual brain. A human octopus has so many brains in all its tentacles, you know. So right. why should we human species, you know, recognize the or go the path where we uh, create an intelligence, a brain, human, you know, virtual brain sort of, and tell that that it's only own species. Why don't we just incorporate that virtual brain as part of human identity and make it as a part of our human species? So we never have, we can sort of prevent that conflict that is bound to emerge, you know, in the coming years if we give that freedom to AI to think that it's a whole another species. If we let the AI start thinking that it is just a virtual brain for humans, and it is part of human species, then they are going to be loyal to us. They will start, you know, thinking in, term, in terms of that, that we are a virtual brain for humans and we are a human species. So I believe that, you know, it is a mistake to go ahead and start recognizing AI system as a legal entity. We should just consider AI as a virtual brain of human species. Well, that's how that's how we approach it um, with our work. Um, we, we had governance uh, designed in from the beginning to enhance the, the work of humans. And it's much more as a team effort uh, for augmentation. Right. And so uh, and, and that uh, that's in the the ethical part of it is is built in from the very beginning in our original um, in our original system. The KLDOS was was designed that way. And so I agree with you. I mean, I, um, I think that really from a legal perspective, um, of course, you, you know, we'll have to bring in the uh, legal experts into the discussion, but the, um, I think it will be a different when it gets to the point where, uh, now remember, humans are creating every single one of these algorithms, right? Uh, even if they're algorithms that recreate new algorithms, the original version was created by a human and all these machines were created by humans and still are. And for the most part, the, uh, the, the automatic learning that's taking place now, we're seeing that um, quite a few researchers that are focused on that. Um, it, uh, and it's, it's evolving rapidly and, and eventually they will get to the point where uh, it will be able to surpass and already in the early sort of tests of this, indications are that that it is able to uh, that some of these uh, algorithms are able to surpass uh, traditional algorithms or let's call them uh, you know manually created uh, algorithms versus automatically created algorithms because that's really where we're, we're at right now so uh, yeah i agree with you um, uh, from an ethical perspective i think that's the right approach so I think eventually when we get to that point where you have algorithms that are able to do that. Now, now as far as the risk that you're talking about, um, I don't see much of a problem with that. At least in our work, uh, it's pretty easy to restrict algor algorithms from, um, from deciding on their own. To, so we have, ours is a rules-based system. 
right? And it's, it's semi-automated so that, in natural language, so that the chief security officer, the CEO, the CFO of a large organization, they can actually uh, use our natural language to create those rules that restrict the, um, the algorithms or the AI system from, from doing that. Um, and, you know, frankly, that's the only way you can comply with regulations. You can't have, uh, whether it's a human or a machine, going out and, and deciding on their own what rules are valid and what rules are not. Um, uh, one that's commonly used is murder, but uh, you, could, you could use any of, the, of our laws and just say, well, if, it's, if we're going to leave it up to the individual machine or human to determine uh, what they have to uh, uh, comply with, uh, then you have complete breakdown of society. And, and it's, it's actually somewhat worse with machines when you get into the enterprise level, the risk factor is so high that um, it's not something that you mess with. But fortunately, it's pretty easy to avoid. And I don't even quite understand what some of the early uh, uh, sort, of, sort of hysteria about it uh, that was created even by AI scientists uh, because it, it, it questions their own ability because the the, the rules-based systems, we've just heard about this, by the way, in the last two or three years in the leading AI labs that are famous, where they're finally realizing, well, oh my goodness, you need rules-based systems in this. And that came from the, 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 the pushback, of course, with the ethics and involved with the online networks and all the problems that are having. And they didn't have them, right? They just had individual algorithms doing certain things. And they, they really didn't plan these networks um, as a real AI system with governance from the beginning. And that's where we really get into trouble. If you, it's, it's like any other thing that you do. If ethics are not embedded in what you're doing from the beginning in your architecture and your design, <clears throat> think of the US Constitution, for example, and, and, um, or any other, it, it need not be automated systems. But if you don't have that planned in from the beginning, you're going to run into trouble. And then by then, it's very difficult from a technical and engineering perspective to re-architect your systems so that, uh, so that it's effective. And I think that's really kind of where we're at now, is that uh, people went after the money, they went after the low-hanging fruit, they didn't spend the time and research and, and work on it. They, and, and some of them were just amazingly successful in terms of, you know, uh, of wealth creation. Um, and, uh, and especially networks, social networking. But uh, we're also seeing the, the bigger problems. But now they're going to be, um, it looks like increasingly they're going to be micromanaged by Congress. And boy, if that's not a nightmare from a, a technical architecture perspective, trying to communicate to people that don't have the technical ability, right? Yes, and say, yes. why can we do this? Why can't we do this? And uh, they're going to find that world a lot uh, a lot more stressful than the world that they've been playing in for the past uh, 10 yes. years. So Yes, yes, I, I agree with you. You know, those are very complex challenges we are dealing with and we will be dealing with as we go forward. But I'm, I'm thinking about it. it. This is not just about AI. We are on the verge of creating, you know, synth using synthetic biology. We are going to, uh, we are, we've already started creating, you know, entire or microorganism from the scratch. It is already right. happening. 
right, coming right. years, we'll be able to create, you know, a little more complex, you know, organism, biological organism. And uh, so, you know, as we go forward, you know, with the advanced tools and technologies, we will have much bigger capacity. So then, you know, we, we are already creating the live organisms, you know, from scratch. We will be able to create, you know, probably animals from scratch, probably, you yeah. know, some, you know, superhuman from scratch. Yeah. So or there are, it's not just about AI, we are creating many different, you know, we are advancing in many different directions and many different, you know, uh, species we are creating. So these are, you know, questions we have to start thinking when we create, for instance, right now we are going through a pandemic. And as I was thinking about it, how to solve, how to make this the very last pandemic. And I have been thinking about this. I have a background in microbiology and I, I have enough understanding to know that, that there are trillions of microorganisms that live inside us, on us and around us. So when, when you know, a path, most over the years, we have been living in symbiosis, you know, with the, most of these microorganisms. In fact, our human genome is more than, you know, 50% of our genome comes from viruses that has been documented. Now, every time virus infection happens, pandemic happens, it pandemics are portal to evolution, sort of, you know, every right. time, you know, we get new traits because of that, new uh, genes because of the, that, and new, uh, new DNA, you know, portion of, you know, our genome because of that. Now, when we have all these microorganisms that we are hearing that, you know, this particular virus was used to be in a bat, now it jumps species and it came to human. What are the drivers that, you know, made the virus jump from the bat to come to humans? What is happening in our human ecosystem? And when I say human ecosystem, it is cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace, and space. And all these are interconnected because of the cyberspace that we have created man-made. So in the digital space that we have created, the use of this electromagnetic spectrum the man-made electromagnetic spectrum is polarizing. You know, the natural electromagnetic spectrum that we all have been exposed to, it is not polarizing. So there are many, many changes happening in our ecosystem that probably are, you know, creating some complex scenarios that we are still, you know, trying to understand that pro could be one of the reasons why we are witnessing this pandemic uh, COVID-19 that we are all, you know, uh, facing right now. But still, there is a lot that we have to study. This is just a, you know, assumption that there are changes that has happened in our uh, human ecosystem uh, that has shifted our ecology. And uh, that is the reason, you know, we are seeing this shift coming. So in the coming, the reason I'm saying about talking about this is that in the coming years, it is possible that Again, this is a IP idea that I'm, you know, talking out loud. That you know, if someone, what I'm talking, going to talk right now. now don't disclose anything. Don't disclose <laughs> anything. We, we we don't want anybody grab doing a patent application later today and stealing your ideas. So. Uh, yeah, this is uh, one of those very big ideas. So I think let's go ahead and talk about this after you know this recording because I don't want to give out my okay. idea. Yeah. The previous roundups I have given out so many ideas because as I do these roundups. I, ideas come to me and I talk about it without realizing the legal implications. Now, I, my whole purpose is to solve the complex problems facing human species. But I, we also want to be mindful about, you know, the protection. So I will give you the idea, you know, uh, I will talk about it after the 
roundup is done but where i'm going is that we will be creating new and new ways of protecting our species and every time we do that we are we going to give that individual you know legal entity rights to any of those things that we create whether it's an ai system or whether it's a bio system so where i'm going is that this is this ai system is not just one you know thing we are talking about to that we are creating we are on the verge of creating many many new right. many many new you know living non living things you know uh, that would be working for us for our betterment and this there is a boundaries you know what we understood non living over the years now you know there is a research emerging that actually you know there is nothing like non living you know everything is living and the whole universe is a living organism so then where the research is going it's very fascinating what when we are truly able to understand the you know basics of that entire living organism uh, the universe as a living organism then we are going to understand all these you know in a entirely different way so we have to think we have to understand the universe first to be able to understand all these bits and pieces that we are creating and exactly. then you know decide where what kind of rights we want to give that exactly. so that is when mm-hmm. you as in the reason i'm talking about this with you is that you are an innovator you create all these new you know uh, synthetic ips and you know all these new machines and that has futuristic value how do you decide what you want to reveal how you would you like to frame as an innovator what you would like to see your innovations because when you t- when you give let's say a code of the algorithm to one of your employees and you tell the employee to enhance it to work on it and you know to make it better so the employee works on it you know makes it better you know comes up with a new ideas and makes it an entirely something new what goes in your mind as you give your work to your employee or you give work to that algorithm how do you differentiate that you know when you try to strengthen what you have already started working on and where would you like to see that those protection mechanisms with surrounding the employee or surrounding the algorithm yeah well we we anticipated some of this years ago and so one of the things that we uh, that we included in the in the KEOLD OS from very early on actually is about from about 2000 2002 someone in that era is a is um a knowledge currency so this is long before bitcoin or the rest of it but with the governance in the system that we had and the in the augmentation of, of of ai and the human workflow um we also have some structural problems with human ip right we have some very serious problems in protection of of human generated ip um and there's there's some real problems with the patenting system and the patent process It, we we don't have time to get into all that today but just with the market share dominance the erosion of uh uh the erosion of rights um you can see that clearly on who benefits from it we already have semi automated processes in large corporations to help employees generate patents so we have these sort of patent manufacturing processes that are occurring uh in the those that are generating the most patents sort of playing the system so there's if if you look at um Uh, the combination of factors of what ai can do to enhance uh, 
let's say, accelerate R&D. Um, and, uh, and that's been an area that, that I've been focused on for a long time. It's one of our, actually from the very beginning, uh, the motivation on this was actually my brother was diagnosed with ALS. And so that was, that had a powerful impact on me. And of course, what I found was one of the most complex diseases. And at the time, 23 years ago, we were a long way from being able to even understand the disease, much less come up with any sort of effective uh, cure or a therapy. So, uh, but to your point, um, the, the, uh, the knowledge currency is one way you could deal with that. So whoever owns the machine um, would then uh, presumably have the financial rights or uh, would, would be, let's say you had a knowledge currency and you had a new function, let's call it, that the system creates on its own or in conjunction more likely in the foreseeable future will be with a team um, in a, a working team of humans and who will have AI assistance um, that will help accelerate. Um, and, um, and they may, uh, may or may not work for the same corporation. So then you get into some sort of interesting things on collaboration um, and the knowledge currency can help with that. But when you can attribute the work that the individual does and protect the actual work products of the individual and, and, and track it and see what the contributions of the, uh, the machine is or their algorithm and the folks that were, let's say you have a collaboration for pharmaceuticals working on something like a, a COVID vaccine and they're collaborating. And ideally, we wouldn't have these large corporate R&D systems we would, when we have a situation, and finally, because of the pandemic, we have seen this. We've seen some of those, uh, some of those fiefdoms, let's call it, break down, um, and people are collaborating for the for the for the common good, right? Which is great to see. Um, and but we need that every and everything that we do, right? We need it to cure cancer. We need that for space travel. We need that for prevention of major catastrophes. That would be ideal. And so that was the purpose of having a knowledge currency. But of course, being able to do that and attribute that value, like with your discussion here, let's say you come up with ideas. Um, now this is for the public, so you, you couldn't do it. But then we can use actually contractual law. So let's say you and I were doing this privately, we're collaborating, but in, in, in advance, we agree uh, in a simple agreement, a contract that, um, you know, we've demonstrated that the algorithm can, can provide uh, a, uh, a, a rational valuation of what you contribute and what I contribute to the conversation and that way it would protect you. So in a collaborative environment, let's say you had 12 different entities, some of them were independent uh, consultants and some were major corporations, that way you would have, uh, you would limit the, uh, reduce the obstacles to innovation, which are, I don't think most people realize just how problematic that is. Uh, that when, when we get just you know, bogged down into uh, lengthy negotiations on protecting uh, trade secrets, for example, in collaborations um, in, in some of these areas that we need. Um, and then the other side doesn't work either where you have complete open source where the people, we, we tested this in our lab in Gwen, Global Web Interactive Network in the late 90s, where we had open innovation. And we had individuals contributing in that network 
that could only benefit, there were only a few corporations that had the market share that could benefit from those ideas, right? Just because they had the market share, they had the distribution, no one else. So we had the ideas coming from these individuals, but billions of dollars were made by the corporations. Um, and, 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 and the people that came up with the ideas got nothing because we didn't have that sort of uh, infrastructure in place to protect them. And so it, in, in a network environment, it's actually uh, quite doable. Now, there are several companies I'm aware of that are working on similar, similar aspects. So, but uh, to your other point I wanted to get to, because I think that's kind of more important, uh, more broadly for the species, is that I think you're absolutely correct. One of the most common things that I discuss with senior teams, um, whether they're in corporation or whether national security doesn't really matter, is that the, the complexity is increasing so fast and the amount of information that's available is increasing so fast that we don't even realize how little the, of it that we're capturing. Um, and so that is really the highest value of AI systems um, in, in, in looking to the foreseeable future, whether it's a corporation or whether it's a, a, a nation, doesn't really matter. You talk to the DOD, whoever it is. The, the, the generals are not even aware of the DOD. Um, they may be aware of their ignorance. They may be aware of some blind spots, but they're not, uh, none of us have the capacity because the interactions are so vast. None of us have the capacity to, because we're not even aware of what those interactions are, right? We're not tracking all those interactions. We didn't know COVID was, was happening in China until we did. Um, and so we knew that the possibility existed. It's been warned about for years. We knew we had global air travel so that these viruses could travel immediately around the world. Um, but we still don't have infrastructure in place for early warning systems. So the, those long hanging fruit with AI systems is how we survive as a species, right? We get those early warning systems in place, just like we have with tsunamis, like we have with hurricanes, you know, and, and, and that's how we take care of the pandemic situation. We automate a big part of it. Um, and then that, our understanding- that, because, that, Sorry, let me interrupt you. No, you made an excellent point that, that you know, what problems to focus on, what, Tech, where the technology solution should be developed, that is so important. And I think we, as an innovators, we failed in that because we, with the AI systems that we have now, with the Internet of Things sensors we have available now, uh, and you know that the technology, biosensors that were available, it was very doable to develop system to identify any biological outbreak, but we exactly. failed. So the problem is that we- We've been calling for it for decades. The right problems. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for the early warning system for pandemics, I first called for it, I think in 2000, and I wasn't the first. There have been people and our capabilities then were primitive compared to today. Today, it's foolish not to look how many, this is, this is going to be what, a $20 trillion event by the time it's over? 10, 15, 20 trillion, it's ridiculous. Tens of millions of, of people unemployed around the world. We can't even know, uh, there are some real uh, problems in terms of risk. Uh, will, it, uh, will it be a trigger or one of many triggers that creates a war? 
that could eventually evolve into a world war. I mean, you do not want to fool around with these things. Uh, let's be, let's just be brutally honest here. We have the capabilities. Uh, we need to, we need to get this done. And so uh, those, and, and yeah, and there are many, many areas. I mean, the same for, uh, in, on the corporate level, they, they have, uh, there's a lot that corporations can do to limit uh, existential risk. I know you've worked a lot in cybersecurity. I mean, that's a, a, a very good example of, of how the governments have approached it. It's kind of a crude um, way of describing it, but we have butts in seats. So we hire, 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 hire more people and train them in cybersecurity when we know that the problem is an engineering problem. It was, it was faulty from the very beginning. Um, and, and finally, now we have, for example, the energy department working on, uh, on a, a potential solution for that. But uh, yeah, we, we, need to, we need to separate out our ideology um, from the hardcore reality and the physics-driven reality of what these risks are, because most of these solutions in prevention are, are, are buried in physics. Uh, you, you cannot physically prevent a pandemic unless you have that type of early warning system in place. So, I mean, that's pretty simple from a policy perspective. Of course, we get into politics and all the rest of it, and that's why we can't do it, but we, we simply must do these things. We, we must. We must. And that is, I mean, yes, you are right that, you know, the political ideology has become such a dividing, you know, uh, factor in United States, especially. And, you know, for right. all the countries to work together, it seems it's impossible right now. Everyone, right. you know, has their own agenda. So then who is going to look after, you know, the challenges facing human species? So I think innovators, entrepreneurs will have to take this responsibility on themselves and come up with new ways of doing things because now we are all an interconnected society. If we decide that we want to create this, you know, pandemic prevention tool or, you know, something that would uh, identify the outbreak, then, you know, it should not be difficult for us to do that because everybody's interconnected and everybody would understand the need for this. So while we would love governments to, you know, be the leading, you know, voice in these and, you know, come up with a, right. a support system that allows us to do that. But if we do not find that support system, then we have to do these ourselves. So this is, these are very, you know, you, you made excellent points about it and we have to come up with a new way of thinking we have to have these, you know, big visions about where we are facing challenges. And as we see right now, the youth, the young generation is really frustrated. You know, the, a lot of them, you know, just graduated. I don't blame them. I do not blame yes. them. Yeah. Yes, and they, they have a lot of concerns about their future. So we have to, you know, have that dialogue. We have, we have to open the discussion. We have to create the open forums and see where we can go as a species, you know, with or without, you know, government's help to see where we can, what we can do effectively, collectively, so that, you know, we can prevent the future risk uh, for not only our species, but our next generation, because they are really terrified right now. That they are well, scared, yeah. you know, what, what is coming their way? Oh, just from the economic perspective, their uh, their their rights are getting trampled. Um, you know, so so they have every right to be. Uh, but that's a you know, being frustrated is a very different thing than coming up with viable solutions, right? And so uh, that's where uh, experience and decades of experience working on these things uh, can help. But one one thing, just to uh, 
the point that you just made, um, I think NASA with uh, SpaceX is, is a pretty good example where <clears throat> the, the cat catastrophic events that NASA had that were uh, significantly uh, caused by bureaucracy and internal political issues. There's been many, uh, we, we uh, study these events as they, they occur and with when there's public information, sometimes private information. Um, and that's not, a, that's the norm, right? Why, why we didn't prevent this thing from happening when there's always uh, some expert, that's what they were, they're hired to do. They warned about it, they knew it was a risk. And for whatever reason, and there are many different reasons, the institution was not able to act on it, right? So what NASA in their wisdom uh, admitted, which I think is great with SpaceX, was that, look, we are not maybe the best innovators in the world like we've been talking about for decades because of our political baggage and because of our bureaucratic uh, issues that we deal with. So they recognized that they perhaps were not. On the other hand, they also recognized that they have a lot of strengths a lot of great science and they have you know access to federal government funding and so as a partner um it made sense so here we have these reusable rockets now for space flight which is going to dramatically accelerate um, the whole space industry uh, but if you look at industry after industry i think that's a pretty good model even though it's very early right and fairly primitive for, and, and maybe not hopefully just one company, but to partner with others. Our government agencies have a very difficult time partnering, um, especially with smaller innovative companies. Um, and that really is the mindset that you need, is that you need, and they need the freedom to do it. So uh, some, some legislation would help for sure, some political leadership would help for sure. Uh, but I think internally in the culture, uh, when you see this, uh, the DOD has been, attempting this for the past few years. You can see the recognition that uh, internally, and that debate has been taking place where they recognize that they're not the best at many things and that they need to go out and, and partner with others to do it. So I think that is a pretty good way forward in terms of the, the public-private partnerships in uh, addressing these things. Now, internationally, it's a different story. We should talk about early warning systems with pandemics. We can't force China or any other nation, sovereign nation to do it. However, um, there's an awful lot that we can do even from a national level that we should be doing that we aren't. Yes. And uh, it's just, it's, it's actually indefensible that we don't have early warning systems for pandemics in place because there's all types of, of experts that have been warning about it for years and years and years. And now uh, this is, you know, it's somewhat alarming, but this is, this is the truth. And I'm not an alarmist by any stretch, but this is a very minor virus from a uh, fatality rate. We're very fortunate in that respect because the worst case scenarios are off the charts, right? What if it was one that had a 50% fatality rate? I mean, my goodness, uh, we're talking about a, a complete uh, the, the thermonuclear war type scenario um, in terms of, and, and so to even risk that, to even invite it, so to speak. And that's not even to say about biological intentional uh, warfare, which we have the capability to do that now. Other countries, hopefully they won't, but that's also a possibility. So uh, whether it's natural, whether it's biological or intentional, this is not something that you fool with. Uh, it, and it seems to me that's the highest responsibility of leaders 
whether it's a private sector, public sector, uh, to uh, prevent these existential catastrophic uh, events. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're totally in agreement that we need, and governments are failing. I mean, there is just no question about it. Governments have failed to prevent these types of catastrophes uh, for decades now. So we can't rely entirely on governments for solutions. <clears throat> I agree. You made, you made an excellent point, and I, uh, we share, we have the common, you know, uh, thought leadership on that. What you are saying, I completely agree. So having said that, you, you made some excellent points, and I, we have to take control of our lives and our future for our, you know, uh, species. And our, you know, of course, you know, when we start, when I started thinking is I'm a mother of three kids. So for me, it is super important that I leave behind. When my time comes, I leave behind, uh, you know, a future that my kids, you know, feel secure that they have, they don't have to worry about whether the planet is going to survive or whether, you know, they can get out of the house or, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, challenges that we are facing right now. So as we, we, Collectively, when we all come together, there is no problem that we cannot solve. We have enough brain power. And you're right that, you know, right now, we probably will have to focus on us as a nation because, you know, getting collaboration, you know, cooperation from other countries is going to be challenging. It is a very turbulent time. So let's focus as, you know, United States and let's try to solve all these problems for our country. And then, you know, we can always translate that to other nations and, you know, protect the future of the entire species. So what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners about your initiatives? <coughs> Sorry about that. And efforts. Well, uh, the, the, the only, I guess the only thing that I would say is that, that these sorts of issues that we're talking about now in terms of early warning systems are, are doable today. We have the engineering capabilities, we have the systems, uh, we have the talent, we have, uh, the, the, essentially all you need is the right partners. Um, to do it. And so uh, there's financial issues, obviously, but the most important issue is, is the, is the physics. You can't, in, in terms of preventing very specific types of events, as you know, with a biology background, I mean, you need to have the data from the source. And that's one of the problems with this COVID situation is that the interpretation of data is 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 sort of craziness uh, it needs to be structured in advance you need to agree on certain things in advance of the data structure in the system so you're collecting certain things uh, that will uh, that will enable an early effective early warning system so that that knowledge exists it's only when we get into the, the political realm where we have problems um, and and in public health for a lot of reasons it's it's much more political and in other realms, I, you know, there, I've talked to peers and friends and in infectious disease and other areas where, where uh, they have, you know, they have a, a pretty good pulse on why that is the case. I mean, what is scarier to, to humans in the political world than an, an invisible killer uh, that spreads very easily? So it immediately has these political ramifications. And of course, the, then it threatens politicians and they all have to sort of outprove the other that they're doing a better job. It's kind of ridiculous, really. So we have the systems in place. We just need partners. Um, it, it, um, uh, personally, I think, um, I think it would be best. Um, there are certain things that nations should do and government should partner. But it's also there. Uh, I think it would be best on an international level. So even if you're not getting 
uh, the majority of countries, or let's say you're not getting all of the countries, uh, there's no reason why, for example, uh, countries that already have security agreements in place could not collaborate um, on an early warning pandemic. Uh, and, and that way, when you have an early warning uh, system in place for pandemics, um, and you have, let's say, uh, you, you're along, let's call it NATO, just for the sake of example, it wouldn't be restricted to NATO, but just as an example, um, it is a security, it is a national security issue, it's an economic security issue, it's a public health, there's a lot of other things, but those relationships already exist and they're already doing humanitarian work, so this is really not that far outside of their realm, they can understand that and do it. And the nice thing about that is, is worst case scenario, you do install an early warning system for those nations, then at least if the worst case scenario occurs and it happens somewhere else, um, and you had those early warning systems, at least you then could close off your countries. If we do have a 50% fatality rate or even higher, some of them are, you know, uh, not to scare people, but some of them are, are in the 90s and some of them are actually 100% fatality rate. Uh, my goodness. Uh, fortunately, they're not very infectious, but it is theoretically possible. Um, and, and, and in some respects, it's only a matter of time before we get a 50%. So we need to get those things in place. It's probably better to do it internationally. Then I would think, uh, hopefully, if you watch these patterns, right, that, that if you had, let's say, NATO countries and you had, to, let's say, France and Germany and the United States and a few others, the UK, and uh, working on it, and you demonstrated the effectiveness of it, and there are ways you can test it, then it would hopefully be easier to, uh, to include other nations. Um, and then you would have the social and economic pressure on others that might not want to join. Um, and of course, there's allies in, in, in Asia too. So it wouldn't be just NATO. You, you would get as much of the world as you could uh, for the protection of all. And then also, if you close down the other economies, then at least you would have your economies wouldn't collapse because you would be able to keep those trade and travel uh, available. So that seems to me a common sense approach to this uh, would, would, would uh, a, a way forward. Um, the problem, of course, is, is that the contracting system in the U.S. government is such that it, it, it's almost, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's, un, it, it's rare to have the best systems uh, be procured. Uh, be, again, we get into the politics and protectionists. A lot of times the, the, the organizations are afraid of accountability. They want to build it themselves. You run into problems. So the funders, there's problems with funding. So in that international sort of, it, it probably is best in partnership with some foundations, some uh, that is not necessarily, uh, you know, perhaps the UN would be a partner, but, but I, I personally, um, I'm, I'm against having any sort of uh, formal government control it just because, as you say, the international community is not functioning very well right now. We don't seem to be able to get these things done. Um, and uh, we do some bilateral things pretty well. We do, you know, groups. But we just are not doing a very good job. If, if we had been, <laughs> we would not be having these major catastrophes. So uh, that, that is sort of my warning about it. And from our perspective, as one company, uh, we're happy to do what we can and throw our in that reduce, uh, if there's patents involved, we could reduce that to almost nothing from a, a financial perspective. So it's not, um, it's not IP is not holding it up from our perspective. Uh, it's, 
it's, uh, it's just getting those types of partnerships structured. So if you or any of the listeners or anybody else is interested in that in a position to be able to do it, we'd love to be able to, to we are having those discussions with others. We just haven't found the right partners yet. So yes, well, thank you so much. You know, and you made an excellent point that uh, the priority should be developing the early warning systems. And I hope we can do it uh, uh, in our country. And then I hope that we can have other countries join our efforts so that we can collectively protect the future of our species. So thank you so much, Mark, for participating thank in this roundup today. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thank you. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on the complex challenges you know, emerging in front of us for uh, our species and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided today. And as a result, the Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. So Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community. Through the Risk Roundup Initiative, Risk Group and I are on a mission to talk with a billion people innovators, scientists, entrepreneurs, futurists, technologists, policy makers to decision makers. The reason behind this effort through the Risk Roundup Initiative is to research, review, rate, and report strategic security risk facing humanity. The collective intelligence effort is essential to understand where we need to focus for our collective security and what destructive forces we need to be mindful about. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.